had a sack of vowels this morning. And I know Darren <coughs> read for us chapter 35, uh, but we're actually going to turn to chapter 37 this morning. <coughs> chapter 37 of Genesis this morning. And we're going to read from verse 1 as we begin. <coughs> Genesis chapter 37 and verse 1. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land where in his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with, his, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Joseph loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> and then we'll begin. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that we can be here again this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. <clears throat> and Lord, we pray that this morning, as we consider your word, that you would uh, teach us, instruct us through it. Lord, refresh us and bless us by your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning uh, it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, that, Lord, you would empower me through the Spirit as only you can. And that, Lord, this morning we would leave singing your praises and giving all glory and honor unto your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Darren read for us the end of chapter 35, and that was on purpose. Um, chapter 35 concludes with three main pieces of information, um, which I'm going to sort of just we'll highlight quickly and skip over if you like, but at the end of chapter 35 there we see uh, the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin, uh, which uh, Dan read for us, uh, chapter 35 verse 16 it says, and they journeyed from Bethel to Ephra, uh, Ephra sorry, and, and Rachel travailed and she had hard labor, and it came to pass when she was in labor that the midwife Midwife, sorry, said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, um, and his, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Okay, so the first uh, piece of information we're given there at the end of chapter 35 is the death of Rachel as Benjamin is born, uh, and she's buried there near Bethlehem. And then we're told that they continue to journey south, and so they're journeying south at this time. They continue journeying south, and we're told of Reuben's gross wickedness uh, with his father's concubine. If you read there in verse 22, <clears throat> it says, And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in the land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. And so we're told this second piece of information that Reuben... Uh, sins grossly by going into his father's concubine Bilhar and lying with her. And this sinful action effectively disqualifies him from the birthright. Okay, he's the firstborn son, but this sinful action means he doesn't receive the birthright uh, that he should have. And then the final piece of information we're given is the death of Isaac. Uh, there at the end of the chapter at the age of 180. It says in verse 27, And Jacob came unto his unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, 
we, uh, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned, and the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. And so we're told that Isaac, uh, he comes back into the picture very briefly, Isaac now dies at a hundred and eighty years old, and um, Jacob and his family are now living in Hebron. Okay? They've journeyed south to this point, they're living in Hebron, and they spend their final years there with Isaac. Sorry, the, sorry Isaac's final years of his life with him. Okay, they spend those years with him there at Hebron. And the chapter ends telling us that Esau and Jacob come together to bury their father. And then chapter 36 is all about Esau. Chapter 36 uh, goes and talks about Esau and his descendants, his generations. Okay, it gives us a, a long list uh, of chronology there, if you like, uh, genealogies, uh, which we're not going to read, but that's what chapter 36 is all about. And we're going to skip over that and we're going to come now this morning to chapter 37. And in chapter 37 we see the beginning of the remarkable story of Joseph. And you know this chapter actually um, begins a whole new section in the book of Genesis. In verse 2 there in chapter 37 it says these are the generations of Jacob. This, is the, this indicates to us that this is a new section that begins We've seen this before in the book of Genesis. We've seen this phrase, these are the generations of, okay, and, and each time it marks a new section in the book. And once again, we see a new section of the book of Genesis begin here in chapter 37. And uh, this section is a selected history of Jacob's family. And in particular, of course, it focuses upon Joseph and what happens to him. But chronologically, chapter 37 actually takes place before the end of chapter 35. Okay, if you wanted to put it in where it belongs, it actually goes in that period we just read about at the end of chapter 35. It belongs in there, chronologically. See, in verse 2 here in chapter 37, we're told that Joseph at this time is 17 years old. Okay, it says these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. Okay, so he's 17 at the time that these events take place. And what this tells us is that this takes place not long after they arrive in Hebron, where Isaac is living and where Isaac ends up dying. It's not long after they arrive in that place that these events take place. Joseph, of course, if you remember, was born right at the end of Jacob's 14 years service for his two wives back in Haran. Okay, he's born at the end of that 14-year period, and then Jacob labored for another six years for his cattle. And so it means that when they left Haran, came back to Canaan, uh, Joseph is around about six years old when they came back to Canaan. And then as we saw, the events at Shechem took place around about ten years after they entered back into Canaan. Okay, give or take, might have been a little bit less, but it's around about ten years after they've entered back into Canaan. That's when the events at Shechem took place. And as we saw last Sunday, they've gone up to Bethel at the end of that ten-year period. They've gone up to Bethel. And so that means that as they head up to Bethel, Joseph is around about 16. Okay, he's around about 15, 16 years old. They then journeyed south, as we mentioned at the end of chapter 35 there. They've journeyed south. Rachel's died on the way. Reuben's committed his sin. And they've settled in Hebron. And it's not long after they settle here that the events of chapter 37 take place. And this means that when Joseph is sold into slavery... His grandfather Isaac is still well and truly alive. He's 168 years old. Okay, he's still alive at this time, and he lives for a further 12 years after this event. 
And so, as I said, it, you slot this chapter in there at the end of chapter 35. That's where these events take place. And here, as chapter 37 begins, we're introduced now to a young 17-year-old Joseph. And immediately, what we learn about him is his godly character. And that's what I want us to focus our attention on this morning, his godly character. And we see, first of all, here the circumstances that revealed his character. The circumstances revealing his character. Verse 1 in chapter 37, it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, and in the land land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil reports. Here we see the circumstances that reveal his character for us. Now, as we're introduced to Joseph here at the start of chapter 37, we're introduced to him as being a young 17-year-old, as I said, and he is out working in the field. Okay, he's laboring in the field. It says there in verse 2 that he is feeding the flock with his brethren. He's feeding the flock. Now, the phrase feeding the flock here actually speaks of Joseph being shepherd over the flock. That's what it talks about. Okay, so he is the shepherd over the flock, taking care of them. Uh, One commentator wrote this, Literally, Joseph, being 17 years old, was a shepherd over the flock. Oversight or superintendence is evidently implied. And so the idea is that he is, he is a shepherd over the flock, and it's, it's not just that he's one of many, he is the shepherd over the flock. And so he's with his brethren, but he's actually in the leadership position. He's the one that's been given the authority by his father. And so it seems evident that Jacob has already noticed something different about Joseph. He's already started to notice his, his qualities, his leadership, and we'll see that as we keep going through the chapter in the coming weeks. But he's already noticed this, and he puts him in this position of authority. And it makes sense, doesn't it, when we consider what happens with Joseph, and how everybody sees this and puts him in a position of authority. But that happens here, even at a young age, Jacob is put in this position. He's put in charge, even though he is younger than his brothers that he's working with. You've got to remember that he's not that much younger. Okay? All the brothers were born in that second seven-year period. Okay? And so they're all within seven years of each other. And so, yes, he is the youngest, but he's not that much younger than the oldest. He's not that much younger than these four that he is laboring with in the field. And the brothers in particular that he is with, we're told here in verse 2, were the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Let's just read it again. Verse 2, it says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And so in particular, he is with these two uh, sets of sons. Okay? The sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, the sons of these two concubines, okay? the, uh, the handmaidens that were given to Jacob. And so Joseph is spending his time with Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. They are the four in particular okay, that he is with. And as I said, it seems to be that he is the chief shepherd of this group. He is the one charged with keeping the flock. Now as to why he is with these four brothers and not with the sons of Leah, we're not told. And you can speculate as to why. You know, some have said perhaps it's because of the, the wickedness of Simeon and Levi. 
at Shechem, and also because of Reuben's sin, perhaps Jacob wanted him separate from them. Perhaps it's also just a simpler manner of, you know, dividing the flock into two. Leah's sons have one group. Joseph and the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah have the other group. Perhaps that's all that's taking place here. The reality is we're not told, are we? So we can speculate all we like, but we can't actually ascertain why he's with this group of sons. What we are told here in the passage is that these sons were no different than the sons of Leah, were they? They were not morally any better than the sons of Leah. At the end of verse 2 here we read, it says, And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Joseph came home with an evil report concerning his brothers, concerning the, the evil deeds that they got up to when they went out into the field and when they were shepherding and taking care of the flock, you know, wherever that led them. He came home and reported about the evil deeds of his brothers on those journeys, those times they were away. His brothers were morally corrupt. These four, Dan, Asher, Nephtali, and Gad, they were just as morally corrupt and bankrupt as Leah's sons, uh, sons were. The commentator Butler writes this, <clears throat> Joseph observed the evil of his brothers and dutifully told his father Jacob about their evil. Since it is stated in verse 2 that Joseph was particularly with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, the there of verse 2 in their evil report may seem to make the evil report refer only to those four brothers. But the report could quite easily refer to all ten of the older brothers, for they are all an evil bunch. The point is, it may be referring in this verse to those four sons and the evil report about them, but you could quite easily apply it to all ten. It could quite easily be about all ten of his older brothers. And we're not told exactly what their evil deeds were here. We're simply told that he brought home their evil reports. We're not told what you know, this evil report contains. But considering what we already know about uh, his brothers from earlier in the book of Genesis and what we know about his brothers from later in the book of Genesis, it's not hard to imagine what was on this report. You know, it's not hard to imagine it containing all kinds of wickedness and gross immorality. Now, the commentator Butler notes this. <clears throat> the book of Genesis reports murder, incest, immorality, hatred, envy, the selling of Joseph into slavery, and lying by these older brothers of Joseph, all of which shows the awful bent to evil that existed among them. Therefore, an evil report of all these men is not unexpected, hard to believe, or difficult to validate. The point is, when you look through the book of Genesis, that's what we see. We see murder, we see incest, immorality, envy, jealousy, lying. We see them sell their own brother into slavery. It's not hard here to start to understand and imagine what this evil report contained. You see, Joseph did not have godly brothers. That's the point, isn't it? Joseph did not have godly brothers to look up to. His ten older brothers were all wicked and sinful. Their character was marred by immorality. And it's therefore even more amazing, isn't it, that Joseph is so different, isn't it? It's even more amazing that he is the complete opposite of his ten older brothers. Joseph's character, compared to theirs, is one of purity. It's one of holiness. It's, it's a zeal for righteousness. 
And that purity, that holiness of character, that zeal for righteousness is evident here with these words at the end of verse 2. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. And so we see here, secondly, the evidence of his character. We've seen the circumstances that revealed his character. Now let's focus our attention on the evidence <clears throat> of his character. As I said, the evidence of the character is seen in that, that phrase at the end of verse 2, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. You see, while Joseph's brothers were engaged in wickedness and sin, you know, whenever they were out in the field, whatever they were getting up to, while they were engaged in this wickedness, what was Joseph doing? Well, Joseph was speaking out against it, wasn't he? His brothers are engaged in sin, his brothers are engaged in immorality, and Joseph is coming home and speaking out against it. You see, the point is, Joseph didn't just turn a blind eye to what he was seeing. He didn't just ignore it and remain silent, and in doing so, condone their sin. Because that's what his silence would have done. Instead, what we see is that Joseph speaks out about what he is witnessing. He goes home and he reports their sin unto their father. Now, one commentator noted this. Words reveal our character. Joseph was no exception regarding this truth. His words revealed his purity. Words reveal character, and that's true here with Joseph. His words reveal to us something about his character, his purity, his zeal for righteousness. That's the point here. You see, his words show to us his disgust at what his brothers were doing, at what his brothers were engaged in. His words show to us that he wanted no part in it. His words show to us that he had a purity of character, that he was different to his brothers. Now, some have here <clears throat> accused Joseph of being nothing more than a towel-bearer. You know, that he simply was running home and telling tales about his brothers, you know, trying to get them in trouble. And indeed, that's how Joseph's brothers uh, perceived him, didn't they? I mean, they looked at him as being a towel-bearer. They didn't appreciate the fact that he was going home and telling Dad everything they got up to. <clears throat> and that's evidenced by how much they hated him, and they couldn't speak peaceably under him. And it grows even worse as the passage goes on, but this is the, the start of it all. You know, they perceived him as being a towel-bearer, but is that what Joseph is here? Is Joseph simply a towel-bearer? Well, I believe when we examine what Joseph did here, it becomes clear that, that, that that's not what he was. He wasn't simply a towel-bearer. He wasn't a tattletale going home telling Dad about his brothers with a wrong motivation. And we can see that by asking three simple questions here. Where did Joseph speak? What did he speak? And why did he speak? And so let's ask those three questions here as we look at his character. The first question, where did Joseph speak? The answer to that question is simple, isn't it? He went home and spoke to who? His father. Okay, it says in the end of verse 2, And Joseph brought unto his father their evil reports. You see, Joseph went and took the evil report unto the one person who actually had a right to know. Do you see that? The one person who had a right to know what the brothers were up to is the father. He had every right to know what these sons were up to. Jo Joseph actually would have been wrong to conceal their wickedness from their father, wouldn't he? He would have been wrong. He would have been in sin. To conceal it, as I said earlier, would have been to condone their actions, to be part to it. 
And so Joseph goes home and he reports their actions unto one person. It's to their father, the person who needed to know. You see, immediately here we see the difference between Joseph and a towel bearer, don't we? You see, a towel bearer is someone who tells everybody. They tell everybody. They, they find out something and they go and tell everybody they can the information they know, even though those people don't need to know. You see, they delight in telling everybody why, because it destroys the character of that other person. It destroys their reputation, it drags them down. They delight in bringing an evil report of others to whoever will hear. And we see that clearly from the Word of God. God's Word talks about this sin. Just go over to Proverbs 20 with me. <clears throat> Still got a few passages here. Proverbs chapter 20. <clears throat> In Proverbs 20 and verse 19. It says, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. He were told that a talebearer is someone who goes about revealing secrets. They find out something, they learn something about someone. Maybe their person has sinned, they've done something wrong. But they go about and they reveal that secret unto whoever will hear. That's the idea of going about. I'll tell this person, I'll tell that person, I'll keep going around, I'll tell everybody. Leviticus 19 <clears throat> also speaks about a talebearer as someone who goes up and down among the people. Let's turn there, Leviticus 19. <clears throat> Leviticus 19 and verse 16. It says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. So at the start of the verse there, thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. What does a talebearer do? They go up and down among the people. They go from house to house, telling secrets or offenses, whatever it might be, of others, telling all who will hear. As I said, they do so to gain favor for themselves and to injure others, drag them down. Now the Apostle Paul also warns against this sin in the New Testament. Let's just quickly turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy 5 and verse 13, it says, And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Same idea. Paul wardens against this sin, going from house to house. And so it's clear from God's word what a talbearer is. As I said, the person going from house to house, revealing secrets. And it's sin in the eyes of God. A talbearer is sinning against the Lord. Butler writes this, Talebearers are always telling the wrong person. Often their wrong is not in what they say, but where, in where they say it. It makes a great deal of difference where you speak. It can either stop evil or spread evil. Talebearers have a habit of telling evil things only to persons who will spread evil, not stop evil. You see, that's not what Joseph was doing, was it? Joseph had no interest in going back and telling everybody who would listen. He was not about spreading evil. He was not trying to destroy his brothers. He went home, he went to his father, and he told his father what his father needed to know. 
You see, Joseph, his story is the complete opposite of a tower where he's doing the right thing. He's doing the holy thing, that which is honorable before God. The second question is, what did he speak? What did he speak? In other words, what was the substance of Joseph's reports? You see, it's clear that Joseph, he only spoke the truth, didn't he? When he went home to his father with this reports, he didn't go home to his father and make up stories. He wasn't going home telling lies about his brothers. He was bringing home a truthful report about what they had done. And even as readers of the book of Genesis, we can see that this fits their character, can't we? Okay, we are not surprised to read here in Genesis 37, verse 2, that Joseph had an evil report concerning his brothers. We're not surprised to read that. It's consistent with what we've already learned about Joseph's brothers. You know, we've seen the wickedness of Simeon and Levi at Shechem as they went and brutally murdered all the men. And of course, they were not alone in that wickedness because it talks about the other sons joining in with them pillaging the city and taking the women and children as captives. Let's just turn back to chapter 34, just quickly. We'll start in verse 25. Let's just read about this again, refresh our minds. Chapter 34, verse 25, it says, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, dying as brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the the slain and spoiled the city because they defiled their their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. I mean, we've already seen that gross wickedness there. Simeon and Levi committing mass murder. The other sons joining in, pillaging the city. And we can assume that Joseph wasn't part of that because of what his character tells us. We've seen their wickedness. We've also seen Reuben's gross wickedness in chapter 35, verse 22. As we read before, And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. We've seen Reuben's gross wickedness. So the point is, To read here in chapter 37 that he brought home an evil report is not inconsistent, is it? It's not inconsistent with what we know about Jacob's brothers, uh, sorry, Joseph's brothers. Joseph is not making up stories. He's bringing home a truthful, honest report concerning his brothers. And again, this sets him apart from being a towel bearer. You see, a towel bearer is not careful about the facts. A a towel bearer does not care whether what they say is true. They just want to spread it. In Proverbs chapter 6, we see that one of the things the Lord hates is a false witness that speaketh lies. Just turn over there, Proverbs 6. Verse 16, Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that, that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soft discord among brethren. 
A false witness that speaketh lies is a talebearer. The commentator Gill writes this, This is the sin of bearing false witness against one's neighbor. It may be rendered, He that bloweth lies that raises lies, and spreads them abroad, and swears to them to the damage of others. See, this is what a talebearer does. A talebearer is someone who speaks lies about others in order to destroy others. They bear false witness against others. And again, that wasn't Joseph, was it? Joseph was not bearing false witness against his brothers. He brought home a truthful, honest report. And that brings us to the third question, and it's perhaps the most important question, why? Why did Joseph speak? We talked about where he spoke. He brought it home only to his father. What he spoke, he spoke the truth. But why did he do this? This is the question of motivation, isn't it? What was his motivation behind speaking this report unto his father? Now, we've already sort of alluded to this already with the other questions. But motivation is of utmost importance, isn't it? You see, a talebearer, their only motivation is the destruction of someone else. They reveal secrets and spread lies unto all that will hear. Why? Because they want to drag that person down and get a leg up themselves. It's, a, it's self-interest, isn't it? It's pride. I'll, I'll diminish this person and so I look better. Raise myself up. It's self-interest. It's pride. That's their motivation. There, there's, a, there's no love involved. There's no love. But with Joseph, this is not his motivation. He didn't bring home this report unto his father out of jealousy. He didn't bring home this report out of envy. He didn't bring home this report in order to destroy his brothers. He brought home the report because he was zealous for righteousness and he loved his brothers. It's love and concern. You see, he witnessed every day his brothers engaged in this wickedness. He witnessed them bringing reproach upon the family. He witnessed them, more importantly, bringing reproach upon the name of the Lord. And it distresses Joseph. And he feels he has a responsibility to speak out against it. He can't just remain silent. You know, Joseph no doubt felt he had a responsibility to report to his father because of the position his father had given him. Remember, he is the one who's the, the shepherd of the flock. And so his father's trusted him with that responsibility. And so he has a responsibility to come home and give dad an honest report of what's taken place in the field, what they've been doing with their time. But more importantly, he had a responsibility before God. He had a responsibility before God to speak out against sin. As I said earlier, to remain silent would have been to condone their actions. You know, as someone who feared God, and we know Joseph feared God, it's revealed more and more as we go through his life. But as someone who feared God, Joseph knew he must speak up. He must bring his father's sin before, sorry, his brother's sin before their father. The commentator Butler writes this, Joseph reported the evil of his brothers to Jacob his father because Joseph was himself opposed to evil. Joseph's character was of such excellent quality that it would not tolerate evil. You see, that's what this verse speaks to us about. It speaks to us about his godly character and his willingness to speak out against this sin. And even at this young age, we're already seeing his character revealed. You see, it's this godly character revealed at this young age of 17, 
It's this godly character that shapes his whole life, isn't it? You know, we often talk about Joseph, this godly man, and he is. But where did it start? Well, it started when he was a young man. It didn't just appear out of nowhere. It started as a young man, and it's this godly character that God now builds upon and uses. God uses him because of this in a mighty way. And it was evident even here as a young man speaking out against his brother's sin. And you know, as believers, you know, like Joseph, we need to be zealous for righteousness, don't we? Zealous for righteousness, and as such, be willing to speak out against sin. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 speaks about how we're children of the light, and we are to expose the works of darkness. Just go over there, Ephesians 5. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, let's read from verse 8. It says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of lights. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the lights. For whatsoever uh, doth make manifest is lights. And then verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know, we are children of the light. And verse 11 in particular, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead we are to reprove them. That's what the Word of God says. As children of the light, we have a responsibility to reprove or to expose, to speak out against that sin, shine a light upon that darkness. But of course, as we've seen with Joseph, and as we've spoken about this morning, it needs to be done with the right motivation and in the right way, doesn't it? As we speak out, as we shine a light upon that sin, it needs to be done with the right motivation and in the right way. And of course, the right way to do it is with the Word of God, isn't it? That's the right way to speak out against sin. It's with the Word of God. Second Timothy 4, let's quickly turn there. <clears throat> Second Timothy 4. Let's just start in verse 1. It says, I charge thee therefore... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The word of God tells us to preach the word. And how, do we do, how are we to do it? We are to use the word of God to reprove, rebuke, exhort. There's two negatives and a positive there, isn't there? The word of God reproves and rebukes. It's the word of God that we use to speak out against Sin. It's the Word of God that exposes the sin of man and, and works in their hearts. Ephes uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Just quickly turn there. <clears throat> verse we know well. Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, uh, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, it's the Word of God that is quick and powerful. It's the Word of God that is able to pierce and get to the heart of the matter. 
It's the word of God that he's able to rebuke and to reprove the works of men. To work in their hearts. You see, it's the word of God that men need to hear that's going to bring them to repentance, isn't it? It's the word of God. As we see the wickedness of men, see the wickedness of the unsaved, it's the word of God and the, the truth of the gospel, Christ's love for them. That's what they need to hear. As we speak out against their sin. And of course, we need to speak the truth of God's word in love, don't we? As Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, just quickly turn there. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. As we speak the truth to reprove and rebuke the works of men, we speak the truth in love. That's our motivation, isn't it? Our motivation is love. We speak out against sin because we want them to be saved. We want them to see their sin. We want them to see that Christ died for them. We want them to turn to the Lord and be saved before it's too late. And so we speak the truth in love that they might be saved. They might be reproved and rebuked and see their need of him. You know, if it's a fellow believer who's in sin, because that's a reality too, isn't it? When a fellow believer's in sin, we still need to speak the truth in love, don't we? We speak the truth in love so that they might be turned back to the Lord as Galatians 6 verse 1 says. <clears throat> Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You ought to restore them in the spirit of meekness. Love. We speak the truth in love unto those fellow believers seeking to show them their sin and bring them back to the Lord. You know, of course, there's guidelines in the Word of God as to how we do that. Sometimes we have to bring that sin to the church, to the body, to deal with it. But the point is, our desire is not to destroy others, is it? Our desire is not to trample over them and drag them down. Our desire is always to restore them in love. To bring them back into fellowship with the Lord. You know, this morning we've seen the godly character of a young man who would not simply remain silent. Would not simply remain silent as he witnessed his brothers in all kinds of evil. He spoke out against sin, and as we know, he would suffer greatly because of it. This is just one of the things that would lead to him suffering greatly because of his character. You know, may we, like Joseph, be bold in speaking out against sin but may we always do it in the right way, with the right motivation. The right way, as we said, is the word of God. The motivation is love and responsibility to God, of course, seeking to bring others to the truth or to restore them as brothers in Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Joseph. We thank you, Lord, that even as a 17-year-old, we can already see his godly character. And Lord, as we continue looking at his life, we'll see it revealed even more. And Lord, it is clear why you used him in such a mighty, uh, mighty way, Lord, to your glory. Lord, I pray that you help us all <clears throat> to have a zeal for righteousness. Help us, Lord, to stand up, speak out against sin, but help us to do it in the right way. To use the word of God and to speak from love. So we might bring others to you or we might restore 
brethren who fall into sin. Lord, give us wisdom and guidance in this way. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.